Welcome back, everybody, to the Self Storage Income Podcast. We're so excited to dive into today's episode. However, we've got some amazing sponsors that we have to shout out before we get started here, and that is Live Oak Bank, Tenant Inc., and Janus International. One of the best ways to increase value of your storage facility is to integrate tech to improve operations, right? So Janus International actually has their no-key technology. It's a keyless access entry system that allows not only the access and entry to the gate, to the building, to the unit, it allows tenants to, and potential tenants to actually come in and rent a unit online, right? They can access online, see what units are available, rent the unit, access the building, the unit, everything straight from their phone without ever having to go to the office to do any kind of paperwork or any of that, which is an incredible amount of value for so many people and that user expectation that people have in today's marketplace. Again, Janus International, their Noki system, be sure to check that out. Link is in the show notes. Welcome, everybody, to the Self-Storage Income Podcast, and I am excited to introduce my guest today, Ryan Gibson, a good friend of mine up here out of the Northwest, up in Seattle. How you doing, man? Good to see you, AJ, and uh, really fun to be here. This is uh, something I've looked forward to for a long time. Well, I'm glad we made it. I know your schedule and mine has been hard to get around, so it's about time we we got this thing done and nailed down. And uh, so... You co-founded Spartan Investment Group. Now, when did you guys start that? So we started in 2013. Okay, 2013. So why don't you give it before we go into a whole bunch of other uh, other stuff here? And, you know, it it was funny because before this, me and you were talking, I was like, man, we are going to be able to just talk all day about the self-storage industry and what's going on because uh, uh, it's just a really good flow of uh, conversation. I'm excited to get into it, but let's give some of that background for uh, everybody here on you. Yeah. So, uh, formerly an airline pilot actually, and, uh, had a profession in that for, for a long time, but really what the transition into real estate came, uh, in about 2013 when Scott Lewis and I started uh, Spartan investment group and we started off in your typical residential development. So we were buying and building condos and renovating houses and things like that in Washington, D.C. And uh, much like we talk about or you talk about on this show, uh, we were attracted to self-storage because uh, the easy to own, easy to evict, easy to maintain as our key decision-making criteria. And then we just wanted to be in an asset, uh, be in a business that was uncorrelated with the market. So self-storage was an easy pick. I mean, in the past 28 years, you know, one of the best performing asset classes, last two downturns. And so um, we got busy and we did what uh, what everybody should do in the industry, which is we got educated and went around and did different masterminds and went to the ISS and the SSA and just learned as much as we possibly could from f- people like yourself and just uh, got to work on building a team and an organization. So that's and now let's kind of go forward here. How many properties do you got? What states are you in? Because you guys have killed it. Thank you. Yeah, I know we um, we have about four million square feet. We're in about eleven states, and we're uh, we're in uh, the Northwest. Just a couple of properties in the Northwest: uh, Washington and Oregon, uh, and then we're in Wisconsin. We're in uh, Colorado, uh, Texas, Arkansas, North Carolina, Florida, Georgia, Tennessee, and I feel like I'm missing something. Um, 11, 11 states. I'm the same way. I'm, like, I'm sure there's one missing in there, but <laughs> there's, there's some state in there. Kentucky. Sorry. Kentucky's in there too, in the Louisville market. So, 
Yeah, good markets. Uh, love the business. Uh, love everything about it and, and love the people in it. Um, I like how small and niche it is and how you kind of know everybody in the space. Uh, yep. So it's it's really fun. Um, it is. Yeah. I, it's so funny. I talk to people about that all the time. I'm like, what my probably one of my favorite things about self-storage besides the, you know, obviously the asset that everybody's in, it's the space. Like yeah. I've never been in an industry where people in general are just so nice, so open. Like it, it you know, I came from a cutthroat industry prior, which <laughs> yeah. was health benefits brokerage firms, right? And it, it was this, but in this industry, people are open. They want other people to succeed because it's like we, a rising tide really does lift all ships in this industry. If I have a neighbor that's doing poorly, that doesn't mean I'm doing good. And so, <laughs> exactly. right, we want everybody to be good and successful. And everybody's really nice in this industry. They all want to help out. It is so refreshing, I think, to most people when they come yeah. in and they, it's, they, it, people really embrace them. They welcome newcomers. And I love that. Like, I mean, you're on here willing to talk to me and share what, what yeah. you guys are doing. And, you know, it's not a big deal. Absolutely. I love that too. And, uh, you know, obviously, you know, you're a big educator in the space and, you know, we like to do uh, education as well and, and share how we're doing. And that's why I love it. Um, we all, we all get better together. So really good points. Now you've got, uh, properties kind of strung all over the United States. So one of the things that I uh, really wanted to hit on with you today, especially when I have an operator that does have this kind of exposure, it's a really good opportunity for our listeners to get a feel for the market and get some feedback from you guys on today. So I, I, once again, we'll go back and I want to talk about some of your first properties and all that kind of stuff. But as we've now introduced you, people know where you're at. Um, by far right now, the question is, what are your thoughts on the market today? Because it, it has shifted. And what are you guys seeing? Yeah, so I'll start with uh, just at the store level. Uh, we're seeing the most amount of move-ins than we've ever seen. I mean, there, there's there's tons of move-ins. We're getting the, the occupancy up. We're also seeing a lot of move-outs. Uh, so, you know, while move-ins are really strong, we're actually seeing a, a fairly good uptick and move outs, um, but net positive overall. So we're getting a really good traction on, on that. And then we're seeing, you know, just kind of in the storage market, as far as buying properties, and we're talking about, you know, we're looking in decent, you know, tertiary, secondary markets. Uh, we see cap rates are not really going up, uh, maybe 30 or 40 basis points. Uh, they're coming up a little bit, but we're still seeing uh, properties transact for very high premiums. And we're seeing a lot of money in the space. Uh, we're seeing a lot of new entrants, uh, people that have never bid on these properties before start to bid on these properties or get into self-storage because they've heard about how strong the fundamentals are, how the cash flow really hasn't backed off. And we're not really seeing a lot of the financing shakeouts like multifamily. I mean, sure, you, AJ, you've listened to, you know, read about, you know, some of these foreclosures that are happening. A lot of these operators that took on variable rate debt, and now that's coming due and, and loans are in default and there might even be a foreclosure here and there. Uh, we're not really seeing a lot of that because, you know, as, as you know well, you know, this, this, this industry ha wasn't very leveraged uh, for a long time. And now that we're sort of in this environment, there's been a lot of fixed rate debt and a lot of lower leverage on these assets and they're still cash flowing very well. So we're not seeing that desperation. 
where it goes from here is going to be interesting. When you look at the forward curve and you see where interest rates are predicted to go now, obviously the experts are always wrong, uh, but the, the forward curve shows a, a declining interest rate environment. And you can see that in, you know, certificate of deposits, you know, with three month CDs at really, really high rates. And then, you know, 12 month CDs, you know, really dropping off because the analysts are predicting rates to go down. And you take the fact that interest rates right now are super high and pricing hasn't really gone down in storage very much with the fact that it has the fundamentals of great cash flow and then the future predictability of interest rates going down. I see, you know, some buying opportunity. And, uh, you know, as you guys have done really well at Cedar Creek, you need those relationships, you need the reputation, you need to have the financing relationships, you need to have the off-market engine, uh, and you can find great opportunities right now. So I would say um, I'm, I'm a positively, you know, I'm optimistic, cautionally optimistic, but also, um, you know, we are really focusing on just the basics, you know, blocking and tackling you know, making sure we got, you know, good, good units cleaned out and ready to rent this season. Cause you know, leasing season, as you know, is in, uh, is about three weeks from the day of this recording. So uh, we want to be ready for a good, strong leasing season. Yeah. We're, you know, I kind of mirror that whole, um, uh, tone right there. When we're looking out at properties, we generally find that the spread between the buy ask, right. Is it just sellers aren't, they're not budging like we would have thought that they would have, right? So yeah. we're, it's taking a lot longer for us to get deals done um, just because we're negotiating so much longer. We're getting a lot of off-market deals. The time frame's taking longer, but we are getting better deals than we were a year ago. And uh, it's yeah. like, that's great, but the volume, yeah, I mean, deals on market have just disappeared. I mean, nothing. I mean, nothing. Yeah. It's just empty. And uh, it's, I think, it, you know, I'm not sure exactly if it's just people um, saying, hey, there's no reason to sell right now because of the high interest rate environment. Um, but there's not a lot of uh, deals on the market. And the ones that are, a lot of them are falling out. They're not transacting. Yeah, and it's uh, the ones that are, like, just like you said, we're not seeing this massive discount. It's not yeah. like it's trading at wow that traded you know at a really high cap rate. It's not. It's it maybe a it's obviously a little better than it was last year probably this time, but that's just it's not just crazy stupid, but it's still really it, it just yeah there's not seems to be much of a discount uh, tag to the market, and I don't know where you think it's gonna go everything. I'm hoping that during the fall, we have more deals come to the market that have been holding off and a little more realistic about price. But, um, you know, that's that's kind of a hope for us. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, if you think about um, some of the, we have actually, we actually sold a few properties in the last six months and sub four cap. And I'm not talking about a main and main three-story glass, you know, beautiful class A fully occupied building. I'm talking about tertiary markets. And, you know, low quality asset class type or asset quality, right? Like a Gen 1 facility. So, I mean, people are just are, you know, they're buying this stuff and it's, and it's because of its fundamentals. And I don't know, you know, it's, you know, it's hard to predict where it's going to go from here. Um, but, you know, I think, you know, if you're a buyer that can add value, 
and you can reposition an asset to you know highest and best use. I think the fundamentals are still there to be able to be a buyer and and you know really make this uh, this hum along. So yeah, one hundred percent. It's you know we don't the we're still finding deals, and that's the yeah. interesting thing is it's not like we're not. I, I I tend to find though that it's very specialized, right? So it's like we find the deals, but. There are deals that were like, okay, this works because we can do something. It's just not broad based. Yeah, this is a great deal. Um, you know, that's not generally uh, what we're seeing now. How about the banking situation tied to this? Uh, how's that? Is, is it is it going as well for you as it's going for us? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So about the banking situation, um, you know, we've always been a fixed debt borrower. Uh, we've that's always been in our thesis. And uh, we've been successful at that with one exception. We had one portfolio we had to get a uh, floating rate on, which is very unfortunate. But we, we did get a SOFR plus 205, which is not bad. It's a really good, um, you know, really good uh, spread on the index. But um, everything we're looking for is fixed rate debt. Um, obviously, we always want to go for the non-recourse debt whenever we can take it. Um, but it's interesting, you know, we did 42 loans last year. So hats off to our team in just, you know, individual refinances or buying properties, et cetera. And what we're finding is if you have existing banking relationships, uh, they're paying dividends now. You know, we've, you know, if you've got a reputation, if you have a lender you've been working with for quite a while, that is paying huge in this market where banks may not, might be close minded to taking on new relationship uh, risk, and then we've also found that depository relation deposit relationships are extremely in value right now. Where, yeah, banks are looking for anything they can get in a deposit relationship. So, we've sort of extended the olive branch a little bit more than typical in making deposit relationships with some of our key lenders to really drive that home and and get that those loans done. So. But we've actually uh, invested quite a bit in our debt team, our capital advisory team. And so we actually just recently launched a third-party brokerage um, because of all of our relationships across the market. We're actually helping other uh, storage operators uh, find debt and uh, taking them through that process. Because, as you know, it's, it's storage is really hard to finance, um, you know, comparatively to other asset class types because we don't have the Fannie Freddie, the government supporting this outside of maybe an SBA loan. Um, so That's it's, why we started a brokerage firm, too. It's just like it's, oh, it's so complicated. It was like and our relationships and everything worked well, but it's also so regional specific. So there can be lots and lots of. Uh, you know, it, your relationships may work here, but not there. And so I think a lot of people, especially in storage, that that can be a big hurdle for them to get through. Yeah. We, I want to talk to you more about that at some point. Uh, maybe we can work together on uh, on some of that uh, brokerage stuff. But yeah, the um, I, I agree. And I think, you know, when we look for loans, I mean, you're primarily working with the bank next door. You're primarily looking for a regional bank or a local bank. And then there's a lot of hoops you or boxes you have to check, you know, they won't like that you live out of state or they won't like that you syndicate or they won't like that you, uh, you know, don't live down the road from the property or, you know, the borrowers are in different states or in certain states or whatever, whatever it might be. There's so many little niche things that you've got to, that you've got to hoops that you've got to jump through to get the right lender. So, and then likewise, you want to find the right lender for you and your needs as well. But at the end of the day, I love working with the banks next door. They provide 
a relationship that you usually don't get, you know, in a more institutional level loan. So it's been hundred really percent. And, you know, yeah. we, the product is so specific that I find that you've got to be able to really, you know, present it well. I, t I talk about this all the time. When you're creating, when you're bringing a property to a bank, they're not just, a lot of people just assume they know the asset class, right? Oh yeah, they, they see this opportunity like we do. And like, that's not how this works, right? Like you really need to be able to walk the bank through, especially now because they are looking at everything. And, it, and if they don't feel that they understand something, Right now, that is bad because if they don't understand it, they don't want to touch it for any reason. And it's like you really got to work with them to bring them onto the table there to see, you look, look here, this is how this is actually working. Um, and you got to get them on, on board because they're very risk hesitant, even if there's no risk, but the perception of it. Yeah, and that's what the value of working with a broker. You know, um, it's kind of like getting ready for the dance, you know, getting ready for the stage performance. You know, you want to have your best foot forward from the time that you touch that lender and, and make that intro. So super high impact there. Big value add. Are you doing what are you seeing on? So like we're doing uh, lots of development and uh, yeah. are you guys doing any development right now? We are. So we're, we're doing, uh, so we have two, two equity funds. We have a fund that's based just hundred percent on ground up developments and non-cash flowing assets. And then we have a fund that targets just income producing assets. So if an investor says, I don't want any cash drag, I want, I want to replace my income. We have that fund. If we, if, if an investor wants to just do ground up development and obviously, you know, there's better returns, but higher risk, no cash flow. We have a growth fund for that. And so we have, I believe, three prop projects now, ground up developments that will probably be uh, coming out of the ground in the summertime. Uh, and, you know, we're looking in Georgia and Florida, you know, as you probably know, you know, you really can only build in $20 rent markets, you know, 17 to $21 rent markets because the, cause the uh, con construction costs are double or tripled over the last five years. And, um, you know, what we're seeing there is it's kind of a mixed bag. It's, it's very difficult to find those loans. But we're, but then every once in a while, you kind of find that unicorn lender where you see a, a six to a seven percent rate with, uh, you know, IO period uh, for a, for a significant amount of time, or maybe even a thirty year amortization. Those kind of unicorns, um, and then kind of the rate down the fairway stuff where you'll get an IO period for twenty four to thirty six months. Um, you know, interest rates between six and a half to eight eight and a half. And then a 25 year amortizing loan after that. So it really just depends on the market. Are they more? Uh, so do you find that those lenders on your development stuff are more that regional based stuff? Like they, they definitely want, is it a comfort level more on the area than the asset? Yeah, it's usually credit unions are the best. Um, and they're just a little bit more risk tolerant within a specific market. So hyper local lenders are going to be. I think your best bet for ground up development. And then, you know, once you get the existing, the bigger loans, you know, it might be more impactful to go more institutional or national. Um, but yeah, for the ground up development, we, you know, we haven't done, you know, you guys have done quite a bit of ground up development. We've done basically, I mean, we've done a lot of value add expansions, but we've really only built two from the ground up, um, you know, full, full self storage ground up deals. Um, and both have been credit union loans and both credit unions within the state or within the market that we're, um, that we're building in. So ours too, but, funny but, enough. Our, uh, yeah. Ours too. Credit unions, just, they were just 10 times better. And they, yeah. it was like, they understood their local market. They understood. And I too, a lot of it had to do, they understood the dirt 
They understood the consumer and the traffic. And so they got it easier. They got the valuation, the fundamentals. They could take, they could take that in really easy and got it. And it wasn't, that's, that seemed to be the big, um, the big hurdle there for a lot of other banks. Right. And it was like those credit unions, they just had that intimate knowledge. Uh, are you seeing that still today? Are the credit unions still for yeah. on your development side? Yeah, the, the the ground up that we're looking at in Florida is actually a credit union, um, and uh, and we're seeing we're seeing that, or just you know local lenders uh, that we've worked with in the past. But yeah, some of the best term, best rate in terms, hand down have been come from credit unions, and in the ground up development is no different than you know today than it was you know two year three years ago, as far as you know working with them and and wanting to build that relationship with them. Yeah, yeah. Now let's let's walk back here a little. Tell me about your first deals. <laughs> yeah. So first deals, uh, we'll start with our first deal ever, which we ever put on our contract for, for storage or just in general in real estate. Yeah. So, uh, 30 minutes Southeast of Seattle. Uh, I was very, you know, it was just a handful of people working with us. It was me, Scott and Lindsay at the time, Scott's wife and Scott's wife were used to work for, uh, the CIA in DC. So she's kind of a research background. And one of the tasking was find the most demand, in 90 minutes of Seattle. And I'm going to just going to go down there and I'm just going to start driving around looking for dirt. And so she mapped off this area, uh, Southeast of Seattle and a little town called black diamond. We went down there, we found dirt and, um, we found five and a half acres off of, uh, the main state route for about 500 grand, which was nothing, you know, for King County, Washington, you know, probably pay between 800 and 1.2 for an acre of commercial property now. But that little fun project had uh, wetlands and had to get a conditional use permit, 11 easements, had to work with the tribes, had to work with the DOE, had to work with fish and wildlife, had to go in front of the hearing examiner. Um, you know, very, very, you know, a lot of significant trees that had to be cleared out. But the value really was in the entitlement. You know, I, I always say there's, you know, as you know, there's three Three times you can make money in development deals, you know, once you get the land entitled, once you get the, the property a certificate of occupancy, and once you stabilize it. It's really the kind of the three jumping off points. And we had about a million five into it, and, uh, and we had an offer for 4.1, and we hadn't even moved the dirt. So that was a really strong entitlement play. And uh, But we ended up, you know, building it and getting it out of the ground, and uh, we're about 50% leased up now. But that took four years to go from what we call trees to keys uh, to a certificate of occupancy because of all the hoops that we had to jump through. But we learned just about everything you could learn, everything, just about everything that could go wrong or everything that was uh, brain damage went wrong on that project. So that was our very first one. So from from then, it's been pretty downhill. It's been or pretty, uh, pretty smooth sailing. Um, and how long ago was that today? Uh, that was in 2000. So we put it under contract in 2017. We opened in late 2021. Um, yeah, so it was about about four years. And uh, yeah, that was a that was a fun project. I feel you there. We got those <laughs> yeah. developments, and you know that that entitlement process it it can be a beast. But I just like you're saying, I'm like tell. You know, when we're looking at this land in those locations, that entitlement process can be extraordinarily valuable. Yeah. Can I, a funny, funny story on that really quick. So I kept, you know, as you know, you got to go down to the city hall, you got to FaceTime with these people. You've got to be nice to them, but you have to be firm, right? You have to know your stuff, but, but also be working. So we had to work with the army Corps of engineers to move the wetlands because they were considered wet waters of the U S 
I kept going down to the Army Corps every month after the permit started going long. And it's like, listen, I, I got to get this done. I got investors and they're wondering what's going on. And so finally I told the permit guy, I said, hey, I know that you're busy and you don't have time for me. I'm going to go to my congressman and uh, I'm going to tell them what you're doing and you know how slow you guys are and how you're holding up a small business and et cetera, et cetera. So I called my congressman who, by the way, extremely socialist congresswoman. And uh, they went to bat for me, though. And they called a senator in Washington, D.C., who then called the U.S. Army Corps in Seattle and said, you need to work with this guy. So about 24 hours later, I had a meeting with everybody at the Corps in Seattle and got my permit approved. (laughs) So there is hope for this country and, and our and being a constituent, you know, and in, in, in a district. So never be afraid to call a higher power. Um, you never know what you might get. Now, this in this instance, it's a federal federal uh, jurisdiction. So it was a little bit different. But no, that, that's really I think a lot of people are afraid of that. Like, like when we're and so we look at if we're doing a development, right, we want to know everybody some uh, on board, you know, one of our developments, we just partnered with a ex-congressman in his district. So that sped things along nicely. Um, But then our other ones, right? I just called up, said, hey, mayor, need to go out to lunch. We need to talk about this. Um, We've got to come on board here with your long-term vision and plan, what you guys want for the area, the permitting. And because a lot of times those things don't connect. And there's this just bureaucratic walls that aren't even supposed to, like it's they're supposed to be moving and they're not and unfortunately sometimes that's what it literally takes that it takes saying hey we, we've got these like artificial walls standing up here to get what you want what you've outlined uh help us out and you're right they do they can they can really come come to bat for you and that's awesome he did that or she did that yeah and what's interesting i mean we were making the wetland twice the size of what existed so we were actually improving the environment we were you know, the the building permits in this jurisdiction were like $500,000. So, I mean, that's like buying a fire engine or a cop car for the local municipality. And we were providing hundreds of jobs to build this facility and then the income, you know, for a small business. So, I mean, it was a win, win, win all the way around and we complied with everything. And I think it's important to say, I think you make a good point, you know, it's collaborative, but then you have to push the button when you need to. And it's not like I led with that. You know, we waited, we, we, yeah, we, we played along for, about a year and a half until it was like, all right, we're out of options here. We need to, we need to, you know, this needs to get, get going. You know, we've done what you've asked us to do and it's not my fault that you're understaffed. Um, yeah. So that, and that's man, did we fill that through COVID dude? Like we seriously, <laughs> oh, yeah. it was like, we were developing it and it like all of a sudden cities just shut down. Um, you can't come in and talk to us, yep. email us and we'll, we make it back to you. And then it's like, sorry, we're understaffed. And I'm like, Okay, I get that. And especially in growing <laughs> markets, right? So when you're talking like Seattle area and like Boise where where I live, it was like they had like three people for 120 development applications, right? Just, just wild, wild yeah. crazy. And it just kicked everything behind and in a big, big way. Now, the only bright side is that it's uniform. Like everybody right. got kicked. It's not like we're being picked on here. It's right. It, right. It, it's yeah. everyone. All right, everybody, if you're going to be going out and buying and purchasing and investing in a self-storage facility yourself or even with partners, you're going to need some money, right? You're going to need some financing. You're going to need funding. 
Look no further. Go to Live Oak Bank. These guys know self-storage. They're a phenomenal group of people. They do incredible work in the self-storage industry. We've had a plethora of listeners go to Live Oak Bank, get their financing, get educated on self-storage. They're an amazing solution for you guys, all your financing needs and all things self-storage. Again, Live Oak Bank, be sure, check them out. One of the best ways to optimize management and to increase the value of your self-storage facility is through property management. And that means you're going to need really good property management software. That's where Tenant Inc. comes in. These guys have a huge amount of tools at your fingertips that you guys can deploy and put into motion to extract the maximum amount of value and deploy the maximum amount of value at your storage facility. Again, this is Tenant Inc. Be sure to check them out. They're all things property management. It's truly your one-stop shop. Check them out. Link is in the show notes. Now, how about your first acquisition? Yeah, so off-market deal, you know, typical 10,000 letters a month and how do you uniquely position your letter to really hit the seller hard and, and make them want to call you and not the other 10 letters they got that week? Um, you know, I'll buy cash, I'll buy your storage, I'll close quick, you know, kind of stuff like that. You know, we kind of positioned it in a way to be a little bit more personal. You know, my my business partner is a Army veteran. We kind of have that unique positioning. The seller, you know, right day, right time, uh, was eight, was getting older and wanted to sell and he wanted to sell to a vet. And he also had one criteria. He said, we can, I'll sell you the property under one condition that you take seller financing. And we're like, okay, we can do that. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, you know, he was really uh, careful about not wanting to pay the taxes and he wanted to earn income. You know, he was earning income on a storage business that he had built in like the 19, late 1970s, early 1980s. And he was retiring. He was 80, I think he's 85 or 84 years old, something like that. And he wanted to have the income still coming in. And what was cool is we said, well, how, you know, what, what rate in terms do you want? And, and the, the, the big takeaway there was we, we just said, what do you want your income per month to be? And then we went back and played with the amortization schedule to get to what he wanted. And we ended up with a 4% rate in a 20-year AM or something like that to get him what he wanted. And then that property, super fun property, um, tiny. <laughs> it was like 130 units in uh, Conifer, Colorado. We're actually about to sell it. I, I uh, It's about to be under contract. It might be under contract by the time this airs, but really nice turn for our investors. It, um, it, it was a 14,000 square foot expansion on a half acre. So we really were uh, gluttons for punishment on that one. Um, <laughs> oh, it gets better. There's a whole YouTube video series on it with Garrett, our development guy. Um, we had to use dynamite to blow up the bedrock to expand it because it was literally being built into the side of a mountain at 8,500 feet elevation. So we had to go down to the Air Force, <laughs> the Air Force base and literally buy dynamite and they had to bury it 14 feet into the ground and blow up the bedrock so that well, we could put in the it's fun. You got to play with dynamite. Right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. All in jest of, you know, throwing in like 60 units, you know. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> At that point, you really are doing it just more for the pleasure of blowing oh, yeah, things like, up. Then. <laughs> you know, we, we, we were, you know, we again, we put that property under contract. We learned a lot from it. We You know, it was very highly profitable. Um, but at the end of the day, I mean, you know, as you know, you know, you really want to get bigger scale when you do stuff. You don't want to 
be spending a lot of horsepower on a smaller project like that. But man, it was a fun project to build and it looks great. Interestingly enough, it's wood frame construction. So it's actually a wood construction. Yeah. And when we did the expansion, the city wanted us to have the same look and feel of what existed. So we had to build more wood. Wood. Uh, it has the forged interior steel on it, but it's got the wood on the outside still. So it's really funny. That's uh, interesting. Yeah. But what's wild is the rents are like, I think the rents are like 17, 20 bucks, something like, I mean, the rents are really good and it's really well occupied because you can't build in that market. So it's walled up from competition. I think you need minimum five acres to do any development in Jefferson County. And it took forever to permit and entitle that property. Uh, we had to rezone that property. So again, we learned our, we learned our tough lessons uh, sort of early on. <laughs> right out of the gate. <laughs> yeah. So um, everything yeah. was easy there after that. You're like, okay. <laughs> yeah. Like, oh, wow. Building in Texas. Yeah. No problem. Let's throw up 80,000 square feet, you know? So, um, but yeah, those are, so that was our first deal. Um, you know, we did the seller carry back. It was a syndication, very small syndication of about half a million bucks. And then we carried back the note of like 1.1 million. Uh, with the seller and the seller really wanted steep defeasance, meaning if we paid them off early, we would have to come out of pocket. So we actually, I think we're right about at the end of that now um, uh, because he, did, he didn't want to pay those taxes. And I think it's a really important value proposition to somebody if they're older, you know, hey, my kids don't want to take it over, but I still want the cash and the cash flow. And I think you can, you know, as you know, in seller financing, you can really position that person for success. Uh, so we really liked how the way that deal came together. Yeah, that's awesome. And now on your uh, uh, buy box now today, you, you've learned a lot of this stuff. W what are you looking for today? What are you guys going after? How do you see this, uh, you know, the industry playing out? Yeah, so we, you know, we're pretty focused on about 150 different markets. You know, as you know, you got to look far and wide. And we're looking at rental rate, population, job growth, uh, you know, we're tertiary market, but we want to be within a half an hour of a major population center. So when we say tertiary, I mean, we mean not like middle of nowhere, but we want to be, you know, close enough to po big population centers or major uh, centers of employment. So like we have a property in Pea Ridge, Arkansas, but it's 10 minutes from Bentonville, which has got, you know, three Fortune 500 companies. So that would be a an okay reason to go into a market with 5,000 people in it because it has access to you know, a big market, major employers, um, you know, just outside of Seattle, uh, you know, great markets, you know, we're not necessarily in the downtown urban areas. We don't want to go head to head with the REITs necessarily if we, if we can avoid it. Uh, so we want lower REIT competition. Uh, you know, we have a big presence around the, like kind of the bedrooms community of the DFW Metroplex and the, the Atlanta Metroplex, uh, Chattanooga, Tennessee is a big market that we're in or a, a market that we're, we've got four assets in and, uh, East Texas, Tyler, and Longview. We've got a pretty good concentration. So we, we, we're, we're close to where the jobs and the growth are, but we're not uh, so far out that there isn't a whole lot going on at the property. Um, and we, we typically look for, uh, you know, f at least 40,000 square feet of, or larger um, or the income to, to support at least one manager. I mean, we're doing the, the automation and all that stuff, but we really want to have the support to have somebody kind of there, you know, uh, here and there. Cause as you know, you can't be completely hands off on the property. You got to have somebody going by and, you know, sweeping the units and things like that. So, uh, that's kind of our, that's kind of our, our buy box, um, on the ground up development stuff. I mean, you got to find $20 rents because you just can't justify the build cost. Uh, it's very difficult to do that unless you find some, you know, really low basis dirt that's flat graded and, you know, 
uh, fully entitled or something like that. So, uh, and you know, we're looking in the similar markets. We're looking for economies of scale with our other properties. As you know, there's a lot of benefits to that. Um, and uh, but pretty much the same criteria as the the buy buying existing. So, yeah, yeah, hundred yeah, percent. We, you know, about two years ago, we just were like, we can't hit that twenty dollar. Don't don't touch. Don't look. It's it's. And that was a really good move. We we did. I'm really happy about that. It uh, at the time this was two two and a half years ago, and at the time it like literally it was like 85 percent of our markets were cut out. And it, it's you know it, it, it's hard to get it there, but it was we we needed that margin because with where everything was going, it was the uncertainty that it's like we need the most upside potential and revenue that we can get for what we don't know. Right. And I, you know, I call it on my acquisition front, my margin of stupidity, but on my development front, that's my margin of stupidity that we can be stupid and we're going to be okay. That there's still something that we can still make this work. If we got something wrong, because when you're developing something wrong is the name of the game. It will happen. That's just how it works. Yeah. It's just a question of like, what is it, right? Is it going to be, a, oh, we're a year off on, with the banks or uh, did we run into some local problem with, you know, and, you know, that that could be hard with investors because investors, like, they just said, well, I thought it was going to be done here. And, you know, well, we're in a long game um, and I would rather be in a place that maybe we had some of those hurdles and was a little longer game but the revenue security and the demand security is there. I'll lose a year. No problem. Like That doesn't bother me at all losing a year if I'm getting those things because it's invaluable once it's done and out of the market where it, that can turn on you quick. I know a lot of people that were in markets that were, you know, 80 cent markets. They bought the land. They got everything done. And all of a sudden cost went up by 45%. And they're like, it's, it doesn't work anymore. It's like, how do we do this? We're going to have to charge a buck fifty, and then you're like, I hope you can get it. Yeah, I mean, it, what's great is you know, in this game, as you know, you want to figure out how to say no as fast as possible. So it's really easy mm-hmm. around a development. If it's not hitting that twenty dollar yeah. threshold, then it's an easy no. Um, and so you know, you come, oh, this great market, this that, you know, this property, it's cheap, it's right off the main road. Real, you know, everybody's moving there. It's like, well, what are the rents? The rents aren't there. Then you, it's a it's a hard pass. And, I, you know, what's interesting, too, is like the value add expansion play is also becoming more difficult where if you're, you know, our big thing was, you know, buy a property, add on 40,000 or 50,000 square feet. And that's becoming more difficult because those costs have gone up as well. So that's becoming a lot razor. You know, you can go down in your rents a little bit, but not much um, only because you already exist at that facility. You've already got an income producing asset. Um, and maybe you have some nice land, you know, to the side, but that's even becoming more difficult to justify, especially when you can buy property for less than what it costs to build it, quite frankly, in some of those markets. hundred percent. I mean, that's, uh, we've always been partially developers, whether that was expansion, conversions, whether office buildings, whatever it is, right. We've always done that because we're, we're niche type executor. We look for holes or, or things in the market. And that's harder now because of that, that thing. We, we, you're exactly right. Expansions is one of the main things that we do. And right now, it's just harder. And what we found is lots of times when you're in that high rent market, the value of the land is so high that whoever's selling the facility is like, yeah, I'm not giving you the rest of that land. 
you're going to have right. to pay 10, 15 bucks a square foot for it or whatnot. And you're like, okay, this doesn't work now uh, right. because paying, I can't pay 15 bucks a square foot building cost where they're at, unless this is going to be a 250 market, right? A $25 market. And so it, it has, it's made it really tough um, to find because it's always one or the other, right? It's either, okay, we can get it and we can build it, but rents are too cheap. Rents are there, but now it's, we can't get it. The, we can't execute on it. Right. And so they're, they, they are becoming more and more, more difficult. And it is interesting what you mentioned, how many markets, um, are basically not replaceable. And I call this my rent runway, right? So we have markets that you literally cannot replace. And some of them are really bad. You're talking like 40 cent markets. And you're like, you can't even replace a door, right? Like it's, I mean, and that's a phenomenon that I've never seen. I've never seen that in storage before. This is a brand new thing in just in the last five years that all of a sudden we literally have assets that are not only, it's not only that it's more to replace them than it has cost them. At replacement, they will run negative. The rates yeah. cannot simply support it. And I don't think yeah, a lot or, of people realize that. Yeah, or you have a property who, that's so run down, that's unoccupied, that a buyer will still pay a really high premium for because of the cost that it actually takes to build it, right? So you, so let's just say you have a really rundown asset in a great market. You might get a great premium on that asset because it costs so much to build that property. And so you might be surprised on what you would get on a, on a rundown facility. And so we're seeing some of that as well. Um, so it kind of goes both ways, right? I mean, it's like you said, like the, the not, what do you call them? Non-replaceable markets? I like that. I'm going to, I'm going to take that. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, not, yeah. Non-replaceable non markets. Cause it's like, you can't, yeah. it's just, you can't, yeah. you can't replace the door. You can't do anything. And then and we see this in the underwriting. We have to explain to people. They're like, well, you could rebuild this and you could put this. And if you add it on 50,000 square feet, you could rent it. And it's like, we can't literally, you, you can't replace the assets. And so a lot of those markets we looked at, and then the question became, if we're in a market that is a non-replaceable market, do we even buy? Because what happens when something burns down? What happens when you're just wear and tear? Like if it's a real big fixer upper, um, you know, it's, it's an interesting problem that I've just, I've never seen and hasn't happened before the last literally, you know, not even five years, like, three, four years that we have markets that are basically non-replaceable. So outside these replacement costs, when you guys are looking at demand, one of the things that I'm very sensitive to right now is demand. So I, I've talked to three, four developers literally in the last three weeks that are in trouble. They're in a lot of trouble. Um, and uh, we've tried to help some of them. We weren't able to. Um, how are you guys looking at demand so you stay out of trouble? Yeah, so I think it, like we talked about quite a bit, it starts with rents, right? Because if you don't have $20 rents, there's nowhere to go in price, right? And so you can drop the price only so much to where you literally don't have the demand that you need to uh, fill up your property. Um, so I, I would say we're baking in a longer discount rate period to get to stabilization, and then we're not showing much aggressive rent growth at all, if at all. Uh, in the whole period. So that's one that's one piece of it. Uh, the second piece is obviously like location specific. 
um, you know, drive-by visibility off the main road, et cetera. Um, but then we're looking at uh, benchmarked uh, cities that surround that city for their saturation data and then how much uh, excess demand there is in our specific town. So we'll look at, you know, if it's if you're building in, uh, trying to think of a, of a well-known place, if you're building in, um, let's say, you know, a market A, you know, and, and city B, C, D, E, F, and G around it are all saturated, you know, 10 square feet, and your A market, you know, your market where you're looking, your little circle or your drop pin is getting a five saturation or a four saturation or something like that, and then you multiply the population and take out the demand or the existing supply, you know, we want to see a good number, right? We want to see anywhere from, you know, green, you know, positive to maybe a, a doubling or a tripling of, of demand. But we all know those numbers are kind of fooey. Um, you know, they're just, they're just kind of guesses. They're just kind of, you know, hell, it looks good. It's green. It's good on paper. Um, so I, I think it's, it's that. It's, it's also, you know, I, I do think that sometimes income, uh, household income plays into it. I think that when you look at your basis in the property, that plays into it. You know, how, how lowly occupied can I be um, to cover my debt service? I, I think it really just a lot of factors depend. And I think, you know, what's quite overlooked is like the size of the facility you're building. Um, you know, if you're getting however many economic units you're renting per month, I mean, if you have a massive facility, I mean, it's going to take a long time to lease up, like three to four years sometimes. If you have a little tiny one, like a little 60, 70,000 square foot facility, I mean, you can lease that up in a year, right? And and I think you get the tale of two, two facilities, right? You get these facilities that they lease up in like a day and you're like, oh my God, at least up in like a month. And then you have some facilities that are lagging, you know, three, four years. So rental comps are super important. Mystery shopping, understanding the underlying fundamentals of our jobs going there, is there a single point of failure with employment? You know, if there is, that might be okay if you underwrite that employer in a given market. But I think it's kind of amalgamation of all those things. I don't think there's like a, oh man, there's a smoking gun. If that one property is is got this demand saturation number, it's a magical uh, place that you can build. Because I'll be honest with you, sometimes some one of our developments that has been a little slow to lease up had a saturation of three benchmarking or actually it was two and a half and benchmark properties around it had like set or benchmark cities had like a seven and there was no properties in that city and it just it's just been a little bit slow go so i also think you got to look at the operator right like how many facilities have you leased up and, and what is your marketing strategy because if you're just banking on the demographics to lease up your property you're probably going to be in for a surprise right so like you know how much money are you carrying in the marketing and the branding and the AdWords and the digital efforts, right? So I think it's it's a lot of variables, and I don't I don't think you can just say, well, everybody's full, so I'm going to go build a bunch of storage, right? Or I have twenty dollars rents, or I've got great saturation. So we look at a lot of those uh, pieces, but man, that kills a lot of deals. That's for yeah, sure. I I um, love that. I love that yeah. approach. I I think the same way when I'm when I when I'm looking at I'm like you got to understand acquisitions can be more two dimensional, but when you're looking at demand on developments, it's a four dimensional game. I'm look, you got to look at this thing from a lot of different ways and areas to come up with the whole rounded picture, because if not, you're going to miss something. And it's not that I've seen six square foot markets that I thought should be incredible. 
and they were horrible and 15 square foot markets that were incredible and they should have been horrible. And it's just, there's not one determining factor. Yeah, which doesn't really answer the question, <laughs> but answers the question at the same the time. Insight right? like, well, the insight answers the question. What are you? How are you approaching and looking at? No, yeah. I I yeah. love that. Um, well, hey man, we're we're kind of at our our, our hour point. Um, so we'll have you on again. First of all, great seeing you, yeah. man. Appreciate it. And uh, um, tell everybody where they can go to find out more about you guys and what you're doing. Yeah, you go to our website, spartan-investors.com. You can email me, ryan at spartan-investors.com or catch me on LinkedIn. I'm usually on there quite a bit. So um, yeah, thanks for having me. And I know I just want to congratulate us on being able to end the conversation in 20 minutes or 25 minutes, whatever it's been. <laughs> I think the last time we hung out, I think we 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 the meetup went to like one. Yes, it was a lot, so. lot longer. So I, I was a little <laughs> nervous about it. I'm like, we can break it up into a few conversations, but <laughs> so. yeah, yeah, exactly. No, this is good. Yeah, we'll have to come out again. We'll talk. I'd love to come back and talk about the syndication side. Yes. That is a package that we could really go into, which would be a great one. I know our listeners would love it. Yeah. Well, great. Well, thanks so much for having me. And uh, we'll, we'll you see too, you soon. You too, man. See you soon. <laughs>